from NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This is episode 143 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. Now, before I introduce my guest for today, I want to share a story about how today's guest impacted and influenced me in my journey as a pastoral musician. So 11 years ago, I was in my undergraduate studies in Pittsburgh, and we were hit by a massive snowstorm, which would later be known as Snowmageddon. The storm dumped over 18 inches of snow on the city and left the city paralyzed for several days. Now, we as college kids enjoyed the benefits of school closures while living on campus, except unfortunately, something tragic occurred during that time that year. A student died on campus during the snowstorm. Because the roads were so bad, Music students involved in campus ministry were asked to lead the music for an impromptu mass on campus as the campus ministry music director couldn't get to campus. No one could. The mass was scheduled for that evening, but we got to the chapel early. It turns out that the entire fraternity of which the deceased student was a member had gathered early, not really sure of what to do next. They sat in the pews, looking and surely feeling very lost. As we walked in and saw the loss and grief on all of their faces, we wordlessly grabbed a hymnal from the pews and just started to play through it, even though we were over an hour early. One student would quietly mouth the hymn number from the hymnal for the other campus ministers, and we would gently sing it through the microphone. Anything that we could think of, any hymn that we thought could possibly provide comfort, we played. And the group of campus ministry musicians that assisted that day were various ages, backgrounds, and ability levels, but honestly, it didn't matter. We just wanted to bring our fellow students music that could maybe provide comfort during a time of such unspeakable loss. While I understand that that's an incredibly sad story from which to begin today's episode, I think it's worth sharing because today's guest taught me and the rest of my fellow budding pastoral musicians to truly be engaged and involved in pastoral music in ways just like this. So today on the podcast, I sit down with Steven Steinbeiser. For 33 years, Steve served as Director of Music and Liturgy for Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and my alma mater. 
During his time at Duquesne, Stephen also served as the national chair of the campus ministry interest section for NPM. Steve's strengths always lie in inclusion and activation. He always made sure that all campus ministry musicians were included and that their gifts would be fostered and grow. And in our case, campus ministry musicians didn't necessarily mean music majors. Nevertheless, they all had a place at the table to minister. And Steve taught us how important that was. And so we speak today about engaging youth and fostering inclusion. Steve joins me from his home in Murraysville, Pennsylvania. For those who don't know, what was your time like? First off, how long were you at Duquesne University, first off? Okay, so I, I totaled up 33 years. Okay. Um, there was a little hiatus um, in the middle where I was four years uh, doing a master's degree and I was teaching at the folk school, teaching music to the kiddies at the folk school, which is uh, an experimental type of school for the, mostly for the uh, children of the faculty at Pitt. And I was, those four years, I was at St. Paul of the Cross Passionist Monastery on the South Side, which was a tremendous community as well. And um, as I completed my master's and after those four years, Father Mike Gray was then the director of campus ministry and he asked me to return uh, to my position, my original position. And you know, I hadn't really thought about it. I didn't know what was next for me. And it, it seemed like a, a really good step to rejoin the Duquesne community, which I've always loved and always loved working with the Spiritans. You know, the Spiritans are missionaries. And so they have this wonderful mm -hmm. zeal and wonderful world view, this, mm -hmm. you know, it, which I would try to incorporate a lot because of world music and the way people worship in different cultures and different languages. And, and the students love it. You know, the students mm -hmm. were so turned on by that because um, they were coming to college for a different kind of educational experience. And they got it, you know, singing in Swahili, they got it. <laughs> they did, they really did. Yeah, so what was some of the type of music that you would do? Like, Well, you know, there was such a wealth. Um, I had the privilege of taking uh, small groups from our choir twice to today. And mm. of course, you know, there's the face of, as Pope John the 23rd said, Pope St. John the 23rd, the, the springtime of the church, the renewal of the church, um, every language is, you know, and, and both times when we went, it was of course in the summertime. And so there would be seven or 8,000 pilgrims, young people mostly from all over the world and, uh, meeting three times a day for prayer, if you're familiar with the Taze um, charisms and all different languages, including Latin. Uh, it was just, just such a prayerful, literally mountaintop experience because they are on the top of a mountain. It's not mm. easy to get there exactly. Um, so, and also the Iona community, um, John Bell has just done tremendous things, but, um, you know, domestically, even, you know, Bob Hurd and uh, uh, Marty Haugen and uh, then, you know, people like um, Bernadette Farrell, they, they've written such beautiful, inclusive pieces. And uh, it just awakens our sense of how large the church is, how much we're growing. Uh, I would say, especially in terms of, you know, an African-American repertoire like Leon Roberts and 
and also Hispanic because there's now, you know, more and more Hispanic Catholics in the United States. Um, and I think the, N the NPM um, Episcopal moderator, our wonderful Bishop uh, Seitz, just awakening us to that as well with all of his magnificent work uh, in El Paso and, you know, teaching us so much about, you know, taking stands for justice and in solidarity with brothers and sisters. Um, so all of those things being said, uh, you know, it, it all, it's all about, you know, the music making those connections for, for ourselves, but also for all the young people that gather with us. Mm -hmm. Music making the connections and helping mm. to be a, to be a facilitator that for that, that's so true. Yeah. It reminds us too, you know, it's not, it's not us doing it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's funny because, um, people often say, well, what inspires you? Well, it's not what inspires you. It's who inspires you, you know? Mm. It's uh, Duquesne University where I worked for all those years and worked with the Spiritans. They have the word spirit right in there. Um, it's the Holy Spirit that's always moving us, you know, always, uh, you know, breathing within us. And it, it can be the most, a friend of mine in uh, Philadelphia sent us this beautiful, these e-cards. I just am fascinated by how beautiful some of these e-cards are. And it was this, you know, nice little pastoral scene of a, a farmer and it was crisp, you know, it was snowing. It was a beautiful Christmas scene and he's bringing the lantern out to the barn and here the cat and the dog get into it in the barn. It's all animated, you know, of course. And uh, so the cat in the barn, you know, everything falls off the shelves and everything is totally a mess and disheveled. And so the farmer walks in on this scene and there's all this rubble kind of laying there in the barn. And he looks at it and he kind of studies this, you know, all these things that they knocked off the walls and everything. And then he takes his hat off and that rubble scene fades into the exact figures of his crash scene on his mantle. All the forms of all these things that just haphazardly fell and were knocked off by these two fighting cat, cat and dog become a Christmas crash. I, I was just blown away by that because I thought mm -hmm. that's it. You know, our lives, like we look at, you know, the political unrest in our country, we look at COVID, we look at all of the serious racial issues and everything and we think, you know, what is happening? But yet the spirit somehow undergirds all of this with some meaning and calling us personally, you know, to arise to the occasion, you know, to, to make a stand, you know, through our ministry, through our music, through our relationships. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about relationships, you know, so for those of you who don't know, of course, I met you, well, I met you a long time ago when I was even younger, oh. but I, <laughs> but I, I knew you, especially still young. I, well, that's true. That's true. But I, I, I got to know you very well because I volunteered for campus ministry at Duquesne University while I was there and, and um, you know, one of my best friends as well, she and I were very involved with the campus ministry with you. And one of the things that I always, always admired, and I, I knew even them, but even especially now I look back on, is one of your strengths was always inclusion. You always made sure that when we had a mass for, um, you know, a, a feast day or something big, or you always made sure that you divvied up the liturgy and made sure that people of different levels of ability and um, confidence and skill, you, they all were included in leading and facilitating at least one song during the liturgy. That was always one of your strengths. Um, 
what, you know, why was that always so important to you? Well, you know, when you think about it, you know how the realtors say uh, location, 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 when they're trying yeah. to sell a piece of property. <laughs> With us, it's it's relationship, 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 because let's face it, Trinitarian God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know, uh, creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. So we have this, this uh, wonderful idea of relationship from God, God's self, you know, um, and if you, if you leave anybody out, in a sense, you're not doing your job. And it, it's, you know, uh, we had so many, like yourself, so many talented, you know, cantors and organists. But in the pharmacy school, uh, one of my best French horn players, you know, um, you know, in the law school, uh, one of my best cantors, uh, Christian Sesek, who will be president of the United States someday, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so it, the people come from all over and, and you make it attractive enough and engaging enough so that they want to be a part of the prayer life of your community. I mean, that's first and foremost, you have to understand, you know, and again, it doesn't start with me, it never did. It always starts with the spirit calling me, calling us as a community. You know, and I think a sometimes, sometimes pastoral musicians, we can tend to get uh, really caught up in the external sometimes, like, you know, uh, you know, uh, like what kind of instrument or, you know, we've, we talked a lot in the NPM about style wars and that kind of thing. And, you know, do you do, you know, cathedral style music? Do you do the kind of world music that I often engaged with at Duquesne? Or, um, you know, you have to know your community. And so there's the first step of that relationship. But even before you know who is church, in your neighborhood or where you're ministering, you have to know yourself. You know, what speaks to you? What, you know, what, what moves you, you know, when you listen to it or when you sing it or when you play it on the organ? What really has this great depth of meaning that it almost can move you to tears? Um, so you know yourself and then you know the people that you're serving. Um, and it's not always gonna be, you know, people would make fun of me. <laughs> And maybe you remember these days, I don't know. I, I, I have, have trouble gauging where people were in the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. But um, uh, some people like uh, Eric Coloche and them would say, if I have to sing, God has chosen me one more time, you know. <laughs> and so there would be parodies of that, you know, and there would be parodies of massive cremation, you know, and, and things like that that would make people laugh because, but, but, you know, there were important messages in that, especially for college age youth where, you know, they didn't understand God had chosen them, you know, for something very special, very specific uh, in their life. That's why inclusion was always so very important and not just Catholic. I had a wonderful Jewish cantor. Um, we've had wonderful um, evangelicals as part of our music. Uh, and, you know, they were so respectful and they felt so honored that they could be included in the Catholic tradition, um, even though maybe not fully by, you know, receiving Eucharist, but still as part of the music, their prayer was one with ours. Mm -hmm. So let's actually kind of transition in that way too and talk about maybe something a little more practical too, you know, so um, you, you of course worked in campus ministry, which I think is a challenge into itself because uh, 
you only had a finite number of years of people, you know, so what were some of the challenges that you faced whenever it came to campus ministry in particular? Well, you know, I think the big danger on any campus and, you know, there's some wonderful people out there right now on their campuses. Like I think of uh, Janet Lowe, Janet Liu up in Canada on her campus, um, uh, Eric um, at o Ohio State University, Angela Stromalia out at Northwestern. Uh, of course, the work that Steve Warner did at Notre Dame. The, the danger is when campus ministry is just reduced to like an extracurricular activity, you know, that it's not, and it, it's, it's easily done, for example, on a secular campus, let alone it can be done on a campus that has religious ties like Duquesne University does to the Spiritans or, you know, if it's a Jesuit school or if it's a, you know, a school run by the Lasallians or a religious order. So, people think, well, that's nice, you know, that that's one more little thing we can tick off for student activities. Not realizing that if you really believe what your ministry is about, what, what you are about, everything revolves around not me or my ministry, but everything revolves about the reality of Christ and the reality of God um, and the reality of that spirit moving people on your campus. Uh, so that, you know, whether you work on a secular or on a religious campus, you have to keep reminding people. It's not just about, now, for example, with faculty, it's not just about your little domain that you're going to teach Statistics 101 or that you're going to teach, you know, you know, intro to chemistry or whatever that might be. And that's important because that's what students are paying their tuition and so forth for. But there's a bigger picture. Uh, there's a bigger, bigger picture. And if you're at a parish or if you're in campus ministry, you keep, you keep reminding people, you know, and, and you're right about the transitory nature of students that come and go. Um, I have to tell you one funny story. This, you know, on Palm Sunday, we would always have a big procession Sunday morning for the blessing of the palm. And as you know, on Duquesne's campus, there's a huge, uh, bigger than life-size crucifix in front of the priest residence where we would bless the palm and we would process and sing Hosanna, Filio, David, and so forth. Okay, so we're all lined up, the choir's all lined up. And this young lady is coming up to me to ask me something. And, and I, I knew I knew her, but I couldn't remember her name. You know, we had a big, pretty big choir. And I said, you're up with the Sopranos. You have to go back with the altos. I knew she was an alto, right? I didn't know her name, but I knew she was an alto and the altos needed her. So I'm like, get back with the altos. And she's, but I just wanna, I said, get back with the altos. So <laughs> after the mass, I'm telling this on myself now. She says to me, oh, she said, I just wanted to come up and say, hello, I graduated five years ago. And I just wanted to say, <laughs> we're back in town for the weekend. And my husband and I, and I'm like, oh my God, I am so sorry. She sang the entire mass. Oh, how polite. The altos. <laughs> she didn't sit with her husband. She was like, and, and I, but that's the kind of, so it's transitory, yes, but really no, because like you're always a member of Duquesne. You're always a member. It's like the church, right? You're always marked with that sign. And apparently at the choir too, because I knew she was an alto and she was going to sing with the altos that day. But I apologized. I was so red faced. And I, but she laughed. You know, she thought she got the big. She's no. I I love singing with the choir. This was like the highlight of my weekend. You know. <laughs> oh, I thought, nice. oh my gosh. 
you know, so, <laughs> and like I said, to, to keep all the students straight, you know, I can talk about somebody from the 80s, you know, just as I can talk about your class, you know, from the 2000s, mm -hmm. but, um, but, you know, it's transitory, but it's not, again, if you have that relationship, mm -hmm. uh, their relationship to the, you know, to the gifts of the school where you're attending or the gifts of the parish, you know, find out if you're in parish ministry, why was your built? But who, who established your church? You know, my parish here out in Westmoreland County, we have this wonderful, used to be the stop for the wagon trains. I mean, find out about the early people who settled in your faith community and then the organists or the, or the you know, musicians that came before you, you know, and usually you have these stories of some little old lady playing until she was 97, you know, and she was still playing the organ because they couldn't find anybody else or whatever. But there's wonderful wealth uh, and it, it humbles us in a way that we stand on the shoulders of all these peoples. One of the gifts of working at Duquesne, um, most people would recognize the name, I hope, Lucian Dice. Um, Lucian Dice was still very active when I started at Duquesne in the 80s. And I had, you know, the opportunity to work with him several times um, and uh, collaborate with him at Duquesne. We did a workshop in the ballroom at Duquesne with him. We did, uh, there, were, there were millennial years. I don't know if you recall this, but the year of the father and the year of the spirit and so forth. And he came, he happened to be in the United States and he did some things with us at that time through World Library. Um, so those kinds of people and the great Adrian von Kahn, who's also a spiritan and had prolific writings. If you've never read any of the spiritual writings of Father Adrian von Kahn, um, there's still a wealth of his work uh, with uh, Dr. Susan Muto. She runs the Epiphany Association in Pittsburgh. She has all of his original writings and so forth and does retreats and things there. So, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, so, there's so much. And um, it, it's not about so much being stuck in the past, but it's about knowing the wealth of your history mm -hmm. in your particular community and stand on the shoulders of all the people that, that contributed so much, so much more than I ever could. And yet, you know, making, again, making people aware through all these different relationships and through all these different ways, these different, that you can do it. And now on social media, you know, there's even more ways to do it, to share that information. Right, right. So you've already shared some stories. Are there any other stories that come to mind as highlights during your time working in pastoral ministry? I would say the single greatest honor is when the Spiritans celebrated their 300th anniversary. And I was uh, so honored to take part of our choir to Paris, where they were having on Pentecost Sunday, uh, a special mass in honor of the founder, um, Father Claude de Place, who's buried at St. Etienne du Mont in, in Paris in an unmarked pauper's grave even though his fam family is vastly wealthy and his chateau still stands in Paris today. But we joined five other choirs from France, from Africa, uh, from South America and all over the world. And we, had, we sang together at, on Pentecost Sunday uh, at St. Etienne du Mont, which if, is itself, it's like two, two cathedrals joined together and the main altar is like kind of in the middle of these two great spaces. 
and then a special plaque was erected uh, for Club de Place because they don't, they're not exactly sure where he's buried in this pauper's grave, the original founder of the Spiritan Order. So those are the kinds of things that, as you can tell, it's just, it's just so many wonderful, wonderful opportunities. Um, and they, I think they exist for us all. And if they don't exist, you create them, you know, <laughs> go out and tell your pastor, we need, we need to do this or, you know, <laughs> especially in, in this day and age of great challenges, you know, right. but there's ways, there's ways to do it. Right, right. So to, to close up, if you were to have any suggestions for other pastoral musicians who want to find that relationship and find that spirit of inclusion, um, you know, what suggestions would you give to them? Well, pretty much just what I said about, first of all, using maybe this time for a little more introspection. I mean, that's, that's what else can you do, you know, when you can't go out and have a meal in a restaurant or, or you know, go drinking with your friends or go to a concert even, uh, except online. Um, you know, try to find out a little bit more about your own spirituality and how God is, is leading you and speaking you to develop um and and challenge yourself you know maybe practice a little more um and, and read a little bit more about spirituality um but by the same token you know and don't be afraid to reach out to people um it's it's takes all god's children to be in the choir you know so don't be afraid to um well, this person doesn't like me or doesn't like my style of music or I don't get along with them or whatever. This is a time to really build those bridges. Um, and you'd be amazed, just like the, the farmer that finds this clutter in the barn and here it's a, an exact replica of a, of a crash scene, you know, how God will take the most unlikely circumstances of your life and transform them. I mean, that's what our music does, doesn't it? You know, when people start to hear, like if, if we're burying somebody, if we're, you know, witnessing the marriage of somebody, if we're playing, you know, Eucharist on any given day, that music transform it elevates us, it transforms us, it inspires us to think differently, to think, you know, to, to come out of ourselves and to really be in touch with God's spirit, to really, you know, feel again that vitality, that energy, that, you know, uh, being that youthful person that I know I once was, but um, <laughs> knowing, you know, knowing, um, knowing that God is real, you know, and that thank God it's not all about us, you know, hmm. it's not about what style of music I like or what kind of instrument I'm playing or, you know, that I missed that third, you know, that third beat in that song, you know, and, or I, you know, just last Sunday I, <laughs> I had to laugh. We have such a great music director at our parish and I said, I was singing the gospel acclamation and of course with bifocal. So I went from, uh, you know, epiphany to baptism of the Lord. So I had one half verse there and one half. And I was like, God writes straight with crooked lines. Hey, it's all, you know, it's all good. It's all, I told, used to tell my choir, all those notes are going to get changed anyway before they get up to heaven. Don't worry about that, you know. So allow yourself to be that instrument that, that God wants to play. Allow yourself to be that instrument, have that freedom. You know, don't be afraid um, to, you know, to take risks and to make suggestions and to, and, and to, you know, to be so blessed for our faith.
and for the wonderful people and the wonderful support of NPM. If I can just one, one NPM inspiring story, who knew? I feel like Rose from the Golden Girls, you know, Sicily, 1934, you know, but Cleveland, 1984, who knew? Uh, I just happened to volunteer. This is when NPM had national conventions every other year and we had regional ones. Of course, Father Virgil Funk was still the president. And so 1984 in Cleveland and I volunteered for the parish choir. Who knew that there would be a young composer that year and we would sing for the first time his mass of creation. Mm -hmm. So there's Marty Hogan, right? And who's the presider? Father Michael Jonkus. Mm -hmm. And the the Eucharist begins, we had a little more, shall we say, flexibility maybe back in the day, from the four corners of this great convention center in Cleveland came the four parts of the altar from the north and the south, from the east and the west, and carried in with great reverence to our opening song. And when they were placed together, it was cruciform, it was the cross. So the altar was brought in from the four ends of the earth. And I want to tell you, Michael Jonkus, I mean, it was electric, the whole mass. Um, and we did a, a beautiful song by Father Jim Chaponis. Uh, it was just incredible. It was, I can remember it to this day, you know, everything. And the, the icing on the whole cake, the next NPM magazine that came out, which featured that, there was the choir on the cover. <laughs> so I can say I was on the cover of the MPM magazine. <laughs> 1984, check it out. I'll check it out, I'll go find it. Amanda, thank you. I'm, I'm just running on, but thank you. This, this is a privilege. Thank you for talking with us and thank you for helping us remember that, like, like you said, thank God it's not all about us. <laughs> Amen, you're preaching to the choir. <laughs> Take these ashes as a sign that from the dust you have been raised, and to dust you shall Thanks so much to Steve for his time today, and thanks to him for his many years of dedication to others, and including others, in pastoral music. For more information about Steve, check out the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. The recording of Take These Ashes was produced by Oregon Catholic Press, and our theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's all for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Take these ashes as a song.